The second half of childhood, otherwise known as these teen and tween adolescent years, is really riddled with change, growth, letting go and holding on, and a lot of really big life decisions. And there are five very specific needs that every person has. And during these massive transition teen years, which, by the way, are also massive brain development years, uh, these needs are really screaming to be met, but most do not even know that they have them. So unfortunately, the result is that a lot of our youth are chasing their worth in many ways that are not going to serve them. The person that gives them attention, finally, they start chasing or popularity, the grades, the people pleasing, the chameleon identity that shifts between crowds, perfectionism. You get the point. So these five needs are mapped out and you are given four simple ways to fill them just at home in the five needs guides I put together for you. So just go to NellieHarden.com slash five needs. Now that's the number five and then needs all lowercase and download today so you can start to see what your child looks like when they get to walk in a truer, more assured version of themselves when these needs are being being met. So that again is NellieHarden.com slash five needs. Go download today. Hello and welcome to the 6570 Family Project Podcast. If you are a parent of a tween, teen, or somewhere on the way, this is exactly the place for you. This is the playground for parents who want to raise their kids with intention, strength, and joy come and hear all the discussions, get all the tactics and have lots of laughs along the way. We will dive into the real challenges in raising kids today, how to show up as parents and teach your kids how to show up as members of the family and individuals of the world. My name is Nellie Harden, big city girl turned small town, sip an iced tea on the front porch mama who loves igniting transformation in the hearts and minds of families by helping them build self-led discipline and leadership that elevates the family experience and sets the kids up with a rock-solid foundation they can launch their life on all before they ever leave home. This is the 6570 Family Project. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 6570 Family Project Podcast, where we are really working to put aside our power struggles and find the path toward leading our kids toward their worth, their esteem, their confidence, all of that that they need in order to step into the world as a young adult with a strong foundation. And in this podcast, we bring in experts with stories and things to share. And today is no different. Today, we are talking with Robin McCain. Now, Robin is a fascinating person I have loved getting to know um, over the last probably year or so in her work and what she does. And she really works with um, the more the parents that have the harder to do deal with uh, kids of all ages. And she herself struggled for a while with not being the parent that she wanted to be. And you'll hear more of her story. 
but she had so much love for them, but really found it overwhelming with their needs and her losing her temper on a regular basis. She was getting more frustrated. She was more unhappy until she really started turning things around, finding people, finding communities that could help her and getting the support into their family that they needed. And then she turned around and she's helping others do the same. So I cannot wait for this conversation that I have with you. We deal with and we talked about anger cycles. We talked about um, where expectations come from. We talk about the emotional brain. Uh, we talk about brain function and all those things that we can do, both tactical or tactical and tactical and tangible things that we can do that you can start um, using today, as well as big ideas. So, without further ado, let's get over to our conversation with Robin. Okay, you guys, I have told you so many things about our wonderful guests that we have on here today. And I just want to say welcome, Robin, to the show. Thank you so much, Nellie. I am so happy to be here. I'm thrilled. Thank you so much. Oh, you are so welcome. And it, it was a road for us to get here. Um, <laughs> uh, we were just talking uh, off air before we got on, but you know, COVID. And I feel like you can just say COVID uh, dot, dot, dot. And it just fills in a gap for any sort of mishap that seems to be happening today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People just smiling on and go, oh. I yeah, I got it. Yeah. Yep. I, I understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, but I'm so glad that we got here. And um, this is a really important show today. This, a lot of the work that you and I do run on parallel tracks, but obviously we're both different humans. We serve different mm -hmm. people. So different perspectives, which so much of the work that I do really deals in perspective work. I love to gain perspectives. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. Tell me your perspective. Mm -hmm. Because if you have, you know, three people doing the same exact thing, that's three different stories that are happening mm -hmm. um, based on their entire lives. And so speaking of, I would love for you to tell us about how you got to this place in your life and why and how you serve the way that you do. Mm. Well, thank you for having me on. Thank you for letting me talk about this because when I first became a mom, you know, I thought I would be like mother earth, like bring all of the children to me. I shall nurture them and care for them and love them. And I became a mom and I was like, what just happened? I completely ruined my life. Right? Like, so it started for me 10 days after my due date, when they forced me into an induction because same girl, my little kiddo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So I've got two boys that are teenagers now. Uh, and, um, you know, I had heard stories about women not being able to reconcile the birth experience. And I thought they were stupid. Like, I'll say it, you know, um, and that ended up being me. So I, you know, I went in for this induction. I was two days in labor and then eventually had to have a C-section. And that to me really started me on this path where I felt like I wasn't good enough. Mm. And I, you know, it's, it's hard to say that unless you have really experienced that. And again, like I'm my own person, I really didn't want to have a C-section. I had never had so much as an IV before. Mm. And so it was really hard. And I remember how vulnerable I was having my first shower, asking my husband to come into the shower room at the hospital and say, could you please pull up my underwear? Which by the way, is actually a diaper, yeah. you know, like, and, and I just, I didn't want anyone to see me like that, but then I couldn't nurse him. I couldn't comfort him or stop him from crying. So this kiddo of mine, who's my oldest, who's 17 now, 
you know, when I had an epidural, he went up instead of down. So this was the journey that I had. Yeah, I know. Right. And then I couldn't do all the things that I should be able to do as a woman. So I told myself, yeah. And that sent me down this path. I would say more like a spiral of, you know, feeling not good enough of deep, deep shame. Like I better not let anyone know how much of a failure I already am. Like, this is what my body is supposed to do. This is what I am supposed to do as a woman. And I can't even do this. Whoa. What does this mean for me? And so my son was also very difficult. Like he's the kid that didn't sleep. I thought people lied when they said that their kid slept all the way through the night. My kid wouldn't, would, you know, the, the, the four hour feedings, he'd cry from one feeding all the way to the next. Anyway, it sent me down the spiral and I was really angry. I eventually was able to have another child, you know, I healed enough to have another child. And, and that was a very different experience. He's a really different kid, but the anger was fueled by the shame that I was feeling. I didn't want people at work to know because I was, I loved my job, you know, and I was really good at my job, but the one job that I'm supposed to do is the job that I couldn't do. And I couldn't get over it. And so I did go and seek help for myself. And I also tried to find out what was going on with my son because he really was hard. And I knew it was my fault. And I told myself it was my fault, but I also knew there was something going on. Now, fast forward to today. I know it's now I know it's not my fault. He came out this way and he is a really difficult kid. And what I know now, after many, many visits with many, many different psychologists and counselors and experts and different things is, you know, I was just doing my best. And my son, he, he, his brain is wired differently, right? He's, he's a neurodivergent kid. He's got ADHD. He has learning disabilities. He has an anxiety disorder that manifests itself as obsessive compulsive disorder, which is very, very, very debilitating for him. Uh, he has oppositional defiance disorder. Not that it matters, but we may as well throw that in there too. Right. And he is a redhead, which I'll say because like he just came into this world with a full head of red hair, like pay attention to me. I am here to run the show. And he sure did. So I know now that he came like this. And so what happened is, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking in a second because I want to wrap it up. <laughs> no, I'm, good. I'm so patient to listen to me. Um, what, you know, what ended up happening is, is none of the people that I had talked to helped me. And it wasn't until I found the world of peaceful parenting mm. that it acknowledged my side of things, my suffering, if you will, my ego, my shame. And I was able to say like, I can accept that I don't know what I'm doing. I can actually accept that. I thought I just had to change it. I thought I had to muscle through it, but I could actually accept it. And I can accept that my child is really difficult. Like I thought I had to change him, but I could just accept him. That was the biggest shift that happened. And from then to now, I have dedicated my life to it because it created that big of a shift in me and changed my life. Like no joke. Yeah. And well, first of all, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. And 
That is such a big story. And when you showed up and you were with these other parents that experienced um, different things in their life, your perspective was different than anyone else's. And it really is a beautiful thing, but that acceptance, I second that with you. It is the most powerful. And I've seen this happen with between spouses, right? Um, Because you're always trying to, uh, well, so many times, not always, but trying to change your spouse. Like, this is what I think my spouse needs to be move into the box. Like just get in the box, you know? That's right. And, um, and it's especially too, I've seen this with adult, uh, adults, uh, men and women, accepting their parents for who they are finally. Good one. And yeah, that was, that's a, that's a really big, powerful move that you can make because so much of our adult anxiety and this faltering foundation that we have and all of this, we're like, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. I'm the victim. And I did this and you did this and you did this and you did this. Wait a second. You did the very best you could with what you Mm. had. And I hug you and, and, and high five you and, and love you for showing up as much as you did, as much as you knew how or could at that moment. And now let's grow from here. And um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's really powerful. And that acceptance is so powerful in so many ways. It's so huge. I love that you just said the parents. I just want to say, you know, that's one of the, one of the first things I do with my clients, because our triggers with our kids come from our past. They Mm -hmm. usually we're yelling at the wrong person, right? It's our parents. Right. And, and I'll say that the work that I did around that whole parent piece really did change my life too, because I had so many wounds there and I wasn't heard. I wasn't listened to. I wasn't valued. I wasn't acknowledged as a child. And I was able to say, okay, this is what was missing from my dad. This is what was missing from my mom. They just didn't know. And so, yes, it does. it's freedom. It's forgiveness. And mm-hmm. that is freedom. doesn't mean that you liked it. It doesn't mean that it's okay now. It's just, okay. Yeah. I can accept that you are flawed and you did try your best and you did love me. And, you know, I needed, maybe I needed something different or more and I can let that go. Right. And if you can say that. As an adult too. I mean, if we can teach our kids to be open and honest and vulnerable with us, that we can have open conversations to, as a parent, you can go up and say, you know what? I know I'm not perfect. What can Mm. I give you right now? How can I serve you and support you that you're not seeing in me right now? That vulnerability as a parent, and then that freedom and vulnerability as a kid to be able to actually say Mm. something that takes connection that is built over time through truth and trust. And it has to be there or else everything's just swept under the rug, swept under the rug, surfacy. How is school? Fine. That's great. I'm going over to Ben's house or Ashley's house, whatever. Okay. That's great. You look good in your homecoming photos. Awesome. Right. And then they're off and they're off in the world and they're living life and they don't have any of those underlying uh, skill sets, mindsets, strategies that they need for life because they've been skating by and it's not skating by because you don't love them, but skating by because of fear and lack that you feel Mm -hmm. on both sides. Exactly. Exactly. So parents are scared to be vulnerable, scared to say, what can I do to serve you? What can I do to support you? Because they think that their kids won't listen to them anymore because now you're weak. Mm. No, in fact, it's the opposite. The more you do that, the more you connect with them on a human to human level, not a, a parent above and a child below, 
that's where you build connection and relationship. And that means that your kids will want to come to you because they are seen and heard. It's not that they're going to say, oh, my mom's a loser. I'm not going to talk to her anymore because she doesn't know anything. She doesn't even know how to talk to me. No, it's the opposite. And all I can say is imagine what it would be like if your mom and dad, your mm. parents did that for you. Mm. How would that feel? Not There's nobody that I ask that question of that doesn't say, yeah, no, that would have felt pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think about, you know, the turning point. I, I, I love movies because I'm, I'm just a story collector. I love collecting stories, real, fictional, all the things, because um, they're all based on someone's perspective and ideas anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, in the turning point of any, you know, drama, amazing story where there is a parent that's faltering, that turning point is when the parent, whether they were a great parent, but a workaholic or ignoring them or the, you know, worst alcoholic ever, all the things, the turning point is always when the parent turns around and looks at the child and says, I screwed up, but I still love you. And I hope you can accept me and we can go from here. Right. That's always Mm -hmm. the turning point. It always is. And then there's, uh, there's growth from there, but my 17 year old, uh, my oldest 17 too. And she told me not too long ago, I want to say it was maybe three months ago or something. We were talking about our, our family dynamic and we have a very dynamic family dynamic and everyone's talking and, you know, doing things. We have real discussions and we get in, you know, if uh, one of the kids is facing bullying or one of the kids, like Mm. we have a family discussion about it and we're really like troubleshooting, right. And going through all this. Anyway, I asked her um, in our one-on-one time a few months ago and I said, so what do you think is maybe a difference or what do you see as a difference between our family and some other families that you are, you know, associate with and things, because, um, you know, the fact that she even still has two married parents is a, is a big deal, right. That already sets us apart right there. But she said, you know what, I think a while ago, so years ago, when I realized that you were just a person and you weren't this perfect thing, expecting perfect things, I think that's really what the difference was. And that just really stuck with me. And I was like, okay, yep. Just a person. I'm just, I'm, I'm your mom. You know, I, I direct you and I guide you and yes, there's obedience and all of this, but I'm also just a person and I messed up too. And I can turn around and say, I'm sorry too. And that's that right there is so key. Mm, Saying sorry. Mm -hmm. Huge. 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 So many kids go their entire childhood without ever once hearing a parent say, I'm sorry. Yeah. So many. Okay. And so those are the parents that have a lot to be sorry for. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, okay. So speaking of this, I think this is a great um, uh, tale to walk into our next question, which is um, I noticed a, a quote on your uh, website that says, I'll show you the way out of the anger cycle you are trapped in. So Tell me a little bit about what the, what that looks like and maybe a couple of quick um, strategies that people can use to get out that they can start using. Yeah. You know, I I think there's many different places where we get really angry because we have expectations of our kids. And so the way out of the anger cycle, which is just, you know, 
what we say, my child is disrespectful. My child never listens to me. My child won't do what I say. Um, I can't get my kid to clean their room. I can't get them to do their chores. I can't blah, blah, blah. And then we get angry and then we get resentful. We feel that they're ungrateful. And so we say all these things, right? And then we go and we call them again and they're not listening. And so we get even more angry. And so it's just anger over anger, over anger, over frustration. But then we feel bad and we say, oh, you know what? I shouldn't have yelled and I shouldn't have taken that thing away from you. And then it becomes about our behavior Mm. and we lose sight of what we actually wanted to correct, change and alter in our child's behavior. So the way out is, and, and and I'll explain the way I look at parenting because essentially that's the way out. And that is that we look at our relationship with our kids on two sides. I always use my hands to talk. So I'm going to use my hands here. Okay. But on, yeah, I'm, I'm half Italian too. I feel like I don't know if I actually am, but I feel like I am. <laughs> I must have some of that in me too. But on the one hand is your child, right? Your child with their own beating heart, their own soul, their own future path ahead of them is in their own bubble of feelings and needs and wants and desires and experiences and perspective, right? They are their own person and they do not have a fully grown brain, Mm. which is very important for you to know. And they do not have it, especially in those years where they have the biggest emotions. Because if you look at a child who is, you know, from toddler to age seven, they live in their emotional brain, right? So understanding also where they're coming from, they don't have the ability to understand to deal with or articulate what's happening with them. And they won't be able to fully until they're in their mid twenties, right? Even our teenagers cannot do that. In fact, 50% of the time they get the look on our face wrong, you know, (laughs) so they just don't even, they don't get it. So understanding that our kids are over here Mm -hmm. and then we're over here. And what happens is, is when our kids behave a certain way, what do we do about it? Well, we look at it through our past pain, right? Through our triggers, we misunderstand it. We take it personally and our kids' behavior is never personal. All it is, is them trying to communicate with us and they go like this. They, they, they try to communicate. They may miss the mark because they don't have the ability to communicate properly. And then we try to communicate with them over here and we completely miss the mark because we're coming from a place where we're taking it personally. Mm. And so the way out is to understand that your child's behavior is never personal, that we need to look and understand and learn about developmental stages, the way the brain works, which we know so much more about now, right? And learn the language of feelings and needs. And if we can do that, we can meet our child where they are, not where we think they should be. And we meet them with compassion, with curiosity, with empathy. And that doesn't mean they don't have boundaries. They absolutely have boundaries. We can say we have expectations, but we have to temper those expectations by meeting them where they are in that moment. And that can, where they are developmentally can be, you know, here one minute, it can be higher one minute, lower up and down, like it changes all the time. And so that really is key is honoring who your child is. And that includes where they are developmentally. It also includes their temperament. And we don't get mini me's. We get kids that are meant to help us grow 
and meant to challenge us. And I'll tell you, that's what my oldest is. He's my greatest <laughs> gift and he's the gift that keeps on giving. And sometimes I don't need anymore, but I still do get it. So that's really how I describe the anger spiral and cycle. And I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely um, does. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I can give you one quick tip. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm asked the most, or I'm told the most is my kids don't listen to me. Mm. And one of, and so if we take what I've just said into consideration, then what we need to do then is know that in order to get what we want, we've got to put our effort in, in a different part of the energy, you know, like we're going to, we're going to put in a, a bunch of energy in on getting out the door or whatever. Usually we put our energy in on the back end when we're frustrated and we're yelling and we're, you know, all of the things, right. But I want you to put it in on the front end. Mm -hmm. And what that means is really noticing where you are and where your child is and what everybody's doing. So if you want to get your child to move and to listen to you yelling from your bathroom in your bedroom down to them in the living room or the kitchen or wherever they are, is not going to work because our kids can't hear us or even hear us passively. Then you add a screen, forget it. They cannot hear us. So what we need to do is go to them first, make a connection, like give them a little lovey, right? Bring them back into the here and now, even if they're playing with Legos, even if they're playing with whatever, drawing, reading, whatever. And then we request. So don't waste your energy calling, 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 repeating, 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 and then getting more and more frustrated and angry. And then telling yourself the story, my kid never listens, blah, 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 blah. Right. All of those things we go through. All you want to do is go to them, make the connection, and then you request, and then you stay with them and take them to wherever it is they need to go. Come on, we're leaving now. Let's go get your shoes and jacket on. Mm -hmm. And you take them because our kids are just so distractible, right? And it works even with my 17 year old, like, come on, let's go, let's go. I'm not babying him. I'm not coddling him. I'm just understanding that he's going to get distracted by the dog. He's going to get distracted by something else. And if I just stay with him, I keep him on task and we all get to leave the house happy, connected without fighting. And that's good for everybody. Oh my gosh. So this morning, <laughs> my car this morning on the way to school. Okay. So three of my three youngest, so a 13 year old, two 15 year olds go to the same school. My oldest goes to a different one and she drives there on her own. So anyway, uh, my youngest, she has never been diagnosed with ADHD, but I tell you, she's probably right there, you know? Yeah. And so she, but so much of her frustrations and so much of our then family, you know, drama that ensues between sisters and then our schedule and everything, it really comes down to just time management. If we can help her manage her time better, literally 80% of the um, anxieties and, and frustrations that she has and then sprinkles on everyone else would go away. And so I helped, uh, we put together a, um, time schedule for her room and there's so much flexibility in there, but it's like, I need you downstairs by this time. So you can have breakfast. So you can say hi to the animals. So you can, you know, mm -hmm. get your lunchbox together so that we're not then in the car, you're running in, you're yelling at your sisters and you know, everything is flustered. And so, this morning, um, that was not adhered to all that well, uh, on her part. And there was big consequences and they were, you know, late to school. And, yeah. you know, we stay, we were like, 
this is what happens, you know, and, and I'm sorry that you're frustrated that you're late, but it is no one else's, um, you know, uh, in no one else's power, but your own. And I said, I was like, I want you guys to get in the car with smiles on your face, ready for an amazing school day, peaceful. And you can do that. It is absolutely within your power. Okay. Mm. You know? And (laughs) so, um, yeah, I just see that, but one thing I wanted to say when you're talking about like um, they're over here and this is what they're seeing and experiencing. I had one of, uh, we had a cat that was convalescing here um, mm. a while back. He had been attacked by goodness knows what outside, probably a gator. And he was um, attacked and I was, I used to be in vet work a while ago. So I was taking care of him anyway. Mm because he had this very large wound on him. I had him locked in a door downstairs. I put, I am not kidding, two, eight by 10 hot pink with um, pieces of paper up there um, taped together that said, do not open in black Sharpie. Right. Oh, it didn't matter. My daughter went down there the next morning. She opened that right back up and the cat with all of his wounds, everything everywhere. And I was, she came upstairs. She was like, oh my goodness, squeakier, you know? And I was like, how do you know you weren't supposed to open it? Why? I was like, did you not see the sign that was at your eye level, like 20 inches wide? And it said this. And she's like, no, I didn't see it at all. But they get, they, they have an objective, right? They're like, this is what I am tunnel vision. I am not paying attention to anything else in the way. So when they don't clean their room as well as you would like, and I am totally guilty of this because I am a neat freak and my kids are not. (laughs) And, um, so they aren't doing it, but if you walk in there with them, they're like, it's clean, you know, and it is in their perspective. And so trying to bring some middle ground to that instead of saying, no, it's not get out, you know, you know, so, um, I just find it really fascinating. We are, I like how you're saying, you know, they are an entire entity an entire person and you are over here. And so really looking at things through their perspectives is very important. Well, and so much of what you said, right? Like you can let your daughter be late you know, let her have those natural consequences. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and also, you know, she's, she's 15, right. This is when it's 15. Um, this is the 13 year old. Oh, 13, sorry. 13 year old, you know, and there's, there's this whole part of executive functioning that hasn't quite come online yet. And then impulse control. Right. And so, you know, so I, I saw the the pink, I just didn't read it, you know, like, um, and, and so that's like, it doesn't mean that there aren't natural consequences. It doesn't mean that like, yeah, you, you, you did kind of screw up this morning, but I don't have to take it on. I don't have to take it so personally. I don't have to worry and, and fret about you being late because of what it might mean for me and what the teacher might think about me. Like, no, it's not about me at all. And when you make it about you, then you start to lecture and you start to um, come from your own place of lack and embarrassment and all that stuff. But Hey, my kid's late. And you know what? We can make mistakes and it's okay. We can be late. And yeah, you might have this, this, and this happen to you. I'm here for you. I'm here to hug you and, and, you know, kiss away your tears when you're really upset about it. I get it. I'll give you empathy. And the thing still happened. Like, I'm not saying it shouldn't happen. You were late. Right. And I'm trying to work through this with you. I'm trying to support you. Right. And I, and I love that you're giving her what she needs to be supported 
and, you know, also sort of holding her accountable. That's okay. That's good. That's part of learning and growing, but we don't have to come from the place where there are consequences in this life. And, you know, yeah, there are for adults, not for 13 year olds, not for, you know, like we don't have to treat them like they're going to go to jail if they make a mistake later on. Right. That's we, we end up punishing our kids and letting them have it through all different ways based on our fear of what today's behavior might mean for tomorrow. I call that future parenting. And when we are stuck in the future that is not guaranteed, that we don't know what it will even look like, and we're not even taking into consideration the brain growth that's going to happen, the maturity that will be there that isn't there now, then we're, we're really disrespecting our child for who they are in this moment. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. that's a good point. Um, so speaking of then, so you do fly off the handle as a parent, you, you know, have a bad day. We have bad days too, what have you. Yeah. And you have some damage to your relationship. Mm -hmm. So I like how you say, um, that you help repair damaged relationships with your child, but how can you, what does a damaged relationship look like? And then what is maybe one way to repair that? to start. Yeah. I think damaged relationship looks like your child, not trusting you, Mm. not wanting to talk to you, not wanting to come to you. And what that means then is, you know, they're, they're often disrespectful. They won't, they won't do what you ask them to do all those things. Right. So I would say that is signs that there's damage in the relationship. And what we need to do is get back to connection. Mm-hmm. And what that really means, I think that the, the closest, the quickest way I should say to connection is listening to your child, mm-hmm. holding space for what they are going through without judging them, without criticizing them, without trying to fix it, without saying, you think that's bad. Like, it's just about saying, Hey, listen, so, so repairing does include an apology and, uh, you know, a a recognition of, Hey, you know what? I did think I screwed up. Here's what I was feeling. Here's what I was needing. Now I want to know what you're feeling and needing. And let's, you know, and I think we have to talk about what we're feeling and needing. Like I was feeling a little bit of resentment because what I was needing was cooperation. Yeah. But you were feeling something different and you were needing something different. And I want to know about that. And I want to talk about that. Can you tell me? And it may not happen the first time because if there is a lot of damage, your child's not going to quite trust you. Right. So you have to know that you. this is not a one-time thing. This is a constant thing. And you've got to keep proving to your child that you're trustworthy. And listening is such a key. We always complain about our kids not listening, but how much are we listening? Mm, right there, right there. Yeah. So good. Um, okay, so- our last uh, part of this talk that we're going to have today, I want to dive into the bum, 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 the pandemic a little what? bit. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, and this just really kind of came to me. I'm always very curious what other experts um, out there are seeing as trends, as um, as differences that have happened pre, post, during. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. we've gone on literally so many roller coasters with this thing since, yeah. you know, December of 19. It's insane. You know, I look at the numbers and I'm, I'm like counting the peaks. And I think we've we we're on like our eighth hill or something at this point. I'm like, wow. Yeah. I mean, talking about 
I mean, it, it's affected the entire world in every single way. Yeah. I, I can't think of a way it hasn't. And so, but with family work and with our kids, so what do you see in this, like, I call it the weird smushy exit. I hope it's an exit. I don't know. I just, you know, heard that we're, you know, going to have another peak and, but this weird smushy it's here, but it's not here. We're going to pretend it's not here sometimes, but it actually still is. I mean, my kids still have COVID testing in the schools, like at the school and everything. And so how do you see the pandemic and how it's affected the kids on an emotional level and how it's coming out than in behavior? What, what things have you seen? Oh, that's such a good question. And it has more than one answer. I want to just start by saying anxiety, I would say Mm -hmm. is the biggest piece and anxiety is appropriate for this period because anxiety is a warning system. It's here to keep us safe. And we are all wired brain wired for survival. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there is this invisible force, right. That, you know, you can't see it. You can't taste it. You can't smell it. You can't, you know, get away from it. It's in the air. You don't know. Right. And they didn't know about it at first. So there's all this anxiety that somebody's coming to get us. And this thing is COVID. Will I die from it? If I get it, right. What if I get it and I pass it on to somebody and they die, you know, but like, so, so this is core to our survival. Mm. And so anxiety makes sense prolonged anxiety is not good for anyone. Right. And when we are anxious as parents, which we all were, I, we were all watching the news 24 seven. We were all like, you know, jaw on the floor. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Thought the two weeks of, you know, staying in would actually get rid of it. Little did we know. Right. I mean, we just didn't know. I did. I was like sitting there thinking, am I going to get it? And it turns out I did get it uh, only like last week, <laughs> which is why this took a while to get. But, um, you know, so so this anxiety piece is huge. And, and there's two sides of it. There is us as parents. And whether we like it or not, like w- modeling is huge. And, mm-hmm. I, and, and sometimes I resent that because I feel like, why can't I just be a mess and yeah. not have to worry about <laughs> modeling, you know, having it all together for my kids? And I don't think we need to. But there's modeling and there's also our kids are always watching how, what we say, what we do, how we react, the words we use and all of that kind of stuff. And we didn't know what to do at first. And when they're watching us, we have to be really careful about what we're saying and doing, because when we're stressed, our kids are stressed. Mm -hmm. And when they're stressed, they can't go scroll social media. They can't go have a glass of wine. They act out in behavior we don't like, which increases our stress. And now we're just giving stress back and forth, right? So the anxiety piece is so big because our kids are feeling it and we're feeling it. And then you add on the anxiety of school. Okay. I don't know. Are, are, are they going to be okay? What are they missing? You know, uh, and, and now mom's stress, like it is this big, massive ball of anxiety, which has led to this mental health crisis. Right. And then teenagers, being even more separate from each other. Teenagers need each other at this time of their lives. They need their peers. Their peers are more important to them than their parents. And having that separation has been really hard for them. And then the social media piece uh, and all of that, it has been, it's been really difficult on so many levels. I don't know if I answered the question 
that you're looking for. I just, I do see it as a really big problem. Yeah, no, 1000%. And I don't think anyone would argue that it hasn't been. I mean, even for, for our family, we were already homeschooling. We did it before it was cool. And uh, so we were already <laughs> homeschooling. We already work from home, both my husband and I. So we were together already all the time. But even then, even then, the idea of being told you have to stay in your house, you are isolated versus we were versus we were choosing to be in no. our house and go out going out to eat is like or especially then our kids go to school now, but especially then was like our our thing because going out to eat was our time outside of our home. And that yeah. was taken away from us and yeah, just yeah. going anywhere. So it was it was an interesting time. Um, I hope it's over. Who knows? But what I've found too is that anything else that's creeping up, whereas it wouldn't necessarily have been as big of a dealer in your face before, but, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm referring to like monkeypox. Okay. So oh. then my daughter sees a picture of somebody with monkeypox and she starts freaking out. And she's like, I would rather have COVID seven times than have that because she doesn't want her face to be scarred and all of this. And I was like, "Uh, it's okay. Like we're all right, you know, just calm down. And, but I, it's that anxiety. It's that cascading, you know, spinning snowball of anxiety that's happening that, well, this was bad. And they're talking about this now. So is this the next thing that's going to shut the world down? We're all going to walk around like Scarface, you know, and all of these things. And uh, speaking of what, speaking from a perspective of what they're thinking, that is not what I think about anyone that has had monkeypox. And I feel so terrible for you, of course. Um, And I wish nothing but the best for you, but speaking from a 13 and 15 year old girl's perspective, that's what they're thinking. Right. And so I, I just, and with that anxiety, you're right, comes the behavior and that behavior could look like isolation. That behavior could look like perfectionism, trying to do everything all the time. So good points. Yeah. And it all comes from the same source. So really having open conversations about, so how do you feel about the pandemic? I mean, we all experienced it. Let me tell you how I feel. So to open the, open the jar, so to speak. And so give them permission to talk about how they feel the good, the bad, there was some good that came out of it. Families got to know one another on a level that many hadn't before. And that was Mm. good for some, it was not so good for others. Right. But just talking about those positive and negatives, because it just is what it is. And um, we don't have to sugarcoat it and we don't have to demonize it. It just is what it is and moving forward through it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, well, and I think what it, what it did is it taught us and I hope it taught us because I've used this for other issues from politics to war to different things is, is as parents, we really do have the job of being the one who's in charge. We mm-hmm. have to be in charge, right? There is a hierarchy in our family. Our kids are looking to us it's because they have mirror neurons in their brains, right? So there's some, there's, there's a reason why they do. And for us to be the ones to say, I know this is scary and it's my job to keep you safe. 
Yeah. It's also my job to manage my emotions around you. It's my job to give you age appropriate information. It's also my job to learn the information as I know it, as it is right now. I know it changed and morphed and grew as the pandemic went on. Um, and it's also up to me to ask you, what do you know? Because here's the thing, if we don't have the information and we can't be rooted in that for our family, our kids are going to find out somewhere else and we don't want them going somewhere else. Nobody wants their child going to, to some other adult or kid, worse if it's a kid, and finding out some warped information that isn't right, leading to anxiety, behavior, and so on. So right. it really is important for us to be able to manage the messages and show that we are a trustworthy source, that we are also open to holding that space for our child for the anxiety. Like, wow, imagine if we did get monkeypox. Let's sit for a second and think about that. Like, mm -hmm. what would we do, right? You know, that is really, yes, I get it. And here's what I've learned. You know, um, you know honey, I know that you're worried about it. I don't know enough about it yet. I'm going to, I'm going to find out all I can about it so that I can keep you safe. Hmm. You know, that lets our kids lean, lean into us and we become a figure of stability, not instability. So I think hmm. that's also a really important thing. And that's the same conversations we can have about things that are happening in our world that are scary. Like, you know, the war in Ukraine for, right. for one example, right? Absolutely. And it's important to remember that whatever they think is true is true for them. And so mm. we can't just look at them and dismiss their, their quote unquote truth, right? right because right. whatever they think is true is true for them. And so that's what they believe. Therefore, that's where all of their emotions are being fed right. through that filter. And right. so it doesn't mean that you just accept that and say, well, that's your truth. Okay, whatever. You sit down and talk with them. You just can't be dismissive and sarcastic yeah. and belittling to that conversation and what they're thinking and believing is true. Oh, I love that. Of course you can't. Yeah. Oh, oh and that's so disrespectful. And, you know, respect begets respect. You yes. want me, you, you want to be respected as a parent? Well, you better respect your kids back too. Yes. 100%. Okay. Last question real quick. Do you uh, just real quick, do you off the top of your head, think that any group of children, any age group was more affected than another or just all affected in different ways? Yeah. You know, I, I would say all affected in different ways. Yeah. I, I think teens were definitely, you know, hit really hard. Sure. Uh, in general, though, you know, if we look at everybody affected by COVID, parents were hit the hardest, moms yeah. the most, really yeah. moms the most. And so um, we were already burnt out before the pandemic. <laughs> and it's a call to action that we must take care of ourselves. We have to put ourselves back into the equation to take care of ourselves and acknowledge that, like, we can't pour from an empty cup to be corny. We can't <laughs> pour from an empty cup. So let's invest in ourselves and in our family. And if that means you need to get a little bit of help, it's okay. Mm, yes. We all need help from time to time. We all need it. We get help. My family gets help. Mm -hmm. My kids have therapists because what they're dealing with is above my pay grade. You know, <laughs> I'm a coach and I can, I can get there, but they also need to hear from other people too. Yeah. So bring in a community to help you and don't be afraid to ask for help because that is strength, not weakness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pandemic for me, speaking of that time thing and pouring from an empty cup, 
before the pandemic, we were doing this practice and that practice and that lesson and that lesson and all the things like every day after school, because I, yeah. I homeschooled during the day and then I worked during the afternoon and then I we did all these lessons at night and then it all stopped and we were like, oh, well, <laughs> this is kind of nice to not have to play taxi cab everywhere and do all of this and sit in waiting rooms. And we have never gone back to that. We promised ourselves mm-hmm. afterwards that we would never be that busy mm. again. And I know that probably resonates with some listeners that are out there right now. So, oh my goodness, Robin, thank you so much for being here. Let us know where uh, people can find you, love on you, listen to you, learn from you. Oh, thank you so much. I love talking to you, Nelly, And I especially love talking to you on my podcast, Parenting Our Future. And uh, we have an episode coming out together and you just are so good at what you do. I just, I love, I love everything you you. say. I could talk to you for hours and hours. (laughs) Um, So Parenting Our Future is my podcast on all platforms. And you can find me at Parenting for Connection. That's the business name, Um, Parenting for Connection. It's F-O-R, not the number. I always have to say that. Um, I have a YouTube channel. I'm on Instagram. I'm on, um, and Facebook. I have a couple of groups on Facebook as well. Um, especially for working moms that have difficult, defiant and strong or hard to parent kids, sort of strong-willed kids. Um, that's really where my expertise is as a former corporate marketer. You know, I really can relate to that corporate, you know, hustle and raising a family and having hard kids. It's really difficult. So um, yeah, Parenting for Connection everywhere is, is me. And, uh, and I would love to hear from you. I'd love for you to connect with me. And uh, I just can't thank you enough for having me on and letting me talk about something that I love to Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for being here. And you guys, we will be back next week for another episode. And remember out there, they're one of billions, but in your home, they are one of you. And the best way to um, help the world is through one living room at a time. So thank you so much, you guys. And I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening today. And I hope you were able to take something from our discussion that you can use to build the foundation of self-led leadership in your own family. If you are a parent with children 17 or younger, and especially those around nine and up, I would love to extend an invitation to you to the best club in town. The Family Architects Club is a private club where intentional parents go that want to love, support, connect, or reconnect, and really truly help guide their kids and teach them how to self-lead in discipline and leadership. This is an online community, and you are welcome to it. Parenting is a project, and you are the architect of this one. You plan, you design, and oversee the construction of the beginning of someone else's life. And that's what goes into these first 6,570 days. And it will be the foundation for the rest of their lives. So come join the club. You can find your invitation on the front page of my website, NellieHarden.com. That is N-E-L-L-I-E-H-A-R-D-E-N.com. Thank you again for being a part of this conversation today. And if something really resonated with you, or if you have a question please don't hesitate to connect with me. You can find me on Instagram at Nellie Harden. And lastly, if you love the information, please, please leave a five-star review and a comment so more and more families can be impacted by harnessing the strength of these ideas and tools in their own families. So thank you so much. Happy building, you guys, and I'll see you next week.